Welcome to the Legacy House Podcast. Our mission as a church is to equip people to know God, live free, and find purpose. We express the mission of our church through adoration, biblical teaching, creativity, and discipleship. We have prepared this message for you, and we know God is going to use it to minister to you wherever you are and in whatever situation you're going through. Hey, once again, we are so excited to have you today, and uh, isn't it just awesome to see, I mean, this is Sunday number one, uh, so this is pretty amazing. Can we just take a moment again and just give the Lord some praise today for what he's doing already this morning? Hey, you know, um, we, we believe that church just shouldn't be something that's endured, but we believe it's something that should be enjoyed. Can I get an amen? For some of you, that's the first time you've ever amened in church. So the ice is broken. So now you can, if you need to do like a Jericho march, we talk about that a lot. You know, whatever you need to do. If you've never done a Jericho march, how many of you know what a shofar is? You know what a shofar is, a little ram's horn? Okay, great. Uh, I, I talk about it all the time because I think it's the funniest thing ever. We've got what I call a concealed carry shofar. It's one of the really, really tiny ones. It's like a little ram's horn. So if maybe you have one in your pocket and the Lord just blesses you during a message, you need to pull that little thing out and toot on it a little bit, go for it. Hey, we're, uh, we, we believe that God is here to move and speak in your life. And we're excited that you came. We know a lot of you, this is your very first time um, being at Legacy House. This is our launch Sunday, obviously. And maybe this is your first time seeing our team and, and interacting with us and me. But we're so honored to have have you here, and we think that God has really given us uniquely the opportunity to do some things different inside of our city. You know, Pensacola is not a city that necessarily needs more churches, but I do believe that it's a city that needs churches who will reveal Jesus to the people who live in our city. We have a city full of people who are desperate, who are hungry, and who are far from the Lord, who think that by walking through the doors of a church, they don't meet the preconceived prerequisites to be accepted and approved by what's happening inside of that house. Look, if that ever becomes who we are, we need to go ahead and just close our doors on that day. Because I believe God has called us to reach those who are far from the Lord. Because once in our life, maybe not for you today, but once in your life, you were that individual who was far from the Lord. And we can get to the place in our own life and in the religious system, and this probably for a lot of you is not your first church experience. So you can even walk into a room like this on Sunday morning, and you can begin to compare it to the experiences that you might have had or haven't had. Maybe you like this, maybe you don't like that. Maybe whatever your past seasons look like, I believe that God has brought you here today for a divine and a specific purpose. And not only has he brought you here, here, but he's brought your sphere of influence here. What I mean by that is he's brought you, by bringing you, he's bringing those who you know. And I know that today I have friends and family members who live in this city and in surrounding cities who think that God is done with them, who think that God has like, they tried it, but they've made too many mistakes. And so now, you know, it's over, it's done. But I believe that for us as Legacy House, we have the opportunity to do some stuff in not only a fresh, new, and an exciting way, but in a way that really re reaches people right where they are. We have a food truck, um, and we don't serve food out of it, and uh, there's actually not a motor in it right now because it blew up. But it's getting rebuilt, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, don't worry about that. That's a minor setback. Uh, who needs a motor anyways? Um, uh, anyways, seriously, our motor did blow up, and that was awesome. Uh, but uh, it's, it's being fixed right now. They're putting a new, they found a new motor, which is great. That took a while. But uh, we've got a, a food truck. It's, a, it's an 18-foot old FedEx ground truck. Um, it's praying in black. We actually, do we have a picture of it? All right, look, we're going to put a picture of it on the screen. Oh, snap. Uh, so that's... 
can't drive it right now. Uh, but it looks amazing. Just sitting there, it looks, it looks like you could take it across the country. Um, but uh, we have this. This will be ready within two weeks. And one of the things that our heart really is at Legacy House, one of the things that mine and Bethany's heart is, is that we really want to be a hand that reaches into the city. Um, I think a lot of churches set up religious shop uh, inside of their temples, like you see in the Old Testament and the New, and they kind of expect people just to come to them because they're them. Um, I'm not cool enough for people to come to me. My shirt's not long enough for people to come to me. If I had three more inches, I'd get there. But no, I, we inside of our own strength don't have what it takes to reach a city, but Jesus through us, we have more than enough that we need to reach a city. And so through a lot of different ways, you heard us talk about our circles. Circles are what we refer to as our small groups. Uh, those are gonna be launching in, uh, in October. Uh, we've got all kinds of things already on the calendar. We're taking all of our kids' ministry to Sky Zone uh, in October. All that information's on the website, but we're just excited to have you here. And I believe, man, I believe that, that a lot of people have been turned off by church in this city. And I believe we actually have the opportunity to reveal Jesus to them, not religion to them. And they're actually going to enter into a life-giving relationship with the Lord. Aren't you glad he's not through with you yet? I know that I am. Like, aren't you glad Jesus didn't leave you right where you are in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your issues, but he brought you out into the place that he has for you? Okay, uh, we're going to just jump in the word. Go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. And uh, this morning, we're actually starting a series uh, that I believe is really going to impact your family and your life all the way through over these next few weeks. The beginning of this series, we're calling it Restoration, and we're really looking at the restoring nature of God in our lives, uh, the restoring nature of what He wants to do in us and through us. And, uh, and so we believe that God is going to move and power and might in our life, but often for God to reach people through us, He first has to be able to reach us. How many of you know that there's a lot of things that God wants to get? If God can get them through you, he can get them to you. That's what a lot of old preachers used to say. If he can get it through you, he can get it to you. And what he means by that is, is that there's some things God wants to use you to do, but there's some things God wants to first fix inside of us. And if we'll be open with hands that say, Lord, here I am, use me, send me, shape me, do whatever you got to do. But if we'll be willing to say, Lord, here I am, like shape my life, then what we'll find is, is God can begin to restore every single area of our life. God can begin to mold and shape and rearrange and bring us into the place that God has perfectly aligned for us. Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse 4, Nehemiah chapter 1. In verse 4, and we're going to talk a little bit about the story of Nehemiah. I think Nehemiah was one of the greatest builders uh, in the gospel. Uh, really, he, he, he was not just uh, a construction worker, but he was a man of God. Um, and, and I believe there's probably some of you in here today who you really need. Uh, you need some healing inside of your heart. You might be an FSU fan, and you walked in the room today, and you feel like God has forsaken you because Louisville just hung 63 on you yesterday. Look, you know what? God might be, you know what? There is an enemy in the camp. And uh, no, but I'm sorry that you root for FSU, really. But no, I'm sorry that, that God, he, he's going to restore uh, your heart today. But you know, often in our lives, it's funny because we laugh about things like that because things like that, as small as they are, they do affect us. Like they bother us, right? It's like, I don't know why it bothers me. I've never played for them. They've never given me a jersey. They don't even know my name. But yet somehow it bothers me. It's because it's something that we're invested in. I believe God has called us to be invested in the kingdom of God. We can begin to take responsibility for some things happening around us, and we're like, hey, uh, I believe that God hasn't called me just to be a part of the issue, but God has called me to actually fix the issue. Nehemiah chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. It says, as soon as I heard these words, this is Nehemiah speaking, he said, I sat down and I wept 
And I mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord of God of heaven, the great and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant now before you pray day and night for the people of Israel and your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned against you. Can I pray for you this morning? Father, we thank you today. Lord, we just thank you for this amazing Sunday. We thank you that it's not just a launch day for Legacy House, but Lord, it's the beginning, Lord, of what you want to do through the destiny of this church. God, I pray that you would begin to stir in the hearts of people right now, Lord, the position and the role that they play inside of this house. Lord, I pray that you'd begin to stir in their hearts today the areas of their life that you not only want to restore, but can restore. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen. So Nehemiah here, if you're unfamiliar with the story, let me give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background. Um, Nehemiah uh, was a mighty man of God, but uh, the walls of the city of Jerusalem had begun to, had begun to deteriorate over years. And, and not only had they kind of deteriorated, but they had really begun to completely crumble. And the, the problem with that was, was that no one uh, was really stepping up to the plate to do anything about it. Everybody saw the issue, but no one was really willing to fix the issue. Everybody could see that the walls were falling down, right? It was an, it was an obvious problem in the city. There was big gaps. Uh, we're not just talking like the, the, the hinges were getting rusty. We're talking there was places where the wall just did not even exist anymore. And so here's all these issues that are happening. And all of a sudden, the Lord begins to speak to Nehemiah about his responsibility to rebuild the wall. All of a sudden, the Lord begins to speak to him about his own life. But yet, as he's speaking to him about his own life, he's speaking to him about an issue that he has nothing to do with. It's interesting for God to speak to the issues that we're aware of. It's a whole other thing when God begins to speak to the issues that we had no part of. I don't know about you, but for me in my own life, I've created enough issues that often I don't need God to speak to me about somebody else's issue. I've got enough on my own for God to take care of. I've got enough things in my own heart, in my own life, that I could just get God to speak to me right here, right now. Then we can move forward. But here's what begins to set Nehemiah apart as a man of God. Nehemiah began to see that, you know what, um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, the Lord begins to speak to him about the walls who are deteriorating. And then Nehemiah's response is what's found in verse 4. He said, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. And I mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying. And he begins to call out to the Lord and he begins to confess to the Lord and he begins to repent before the Lord and he does all of these things. But Nehemiah had nothing to do with the deterioration of the walls. He had nothing to do with the current stage, setting, or situation that was happening. But yet Nehemiah decided inside of his life that he was going to be a restorer of the broken walls. Today, as we jump into this text and we look at some things, I believe that God is really going to begin to shape and mold our lives to the life that we desire to have. You know, the Bible says that every good and perfect thing comes from the Lord. Can I get an amen? Okay, every good and perfect thing comes from the Lord. That means that God says not only does every good and perfect thing come from me, but I want you to have the desires of your heart. And how we can begin to step into that place and position in our life when we see the desires of his heart being manifest in us is because it's once our heart becomes his heart. It's, it's, it's once his issues become our issues and his problems become our problems and the things that he's hungry for become the things that we're hungry for and the needs that he sees become the needs that we see. You know what? I said it last week. I pulled into a gas station before the service 
And uh, we've been meeting on Sundays um, for a little bit, just kind of building our teams and working out all the kinks. And this has looked completely different about eight times trying to get it right before the launch and uh, just trying to line everything up for you uh, and to prepare the room for you uh, to be able to come in on this Sunday. But what we begin to see was, as I pulled in this gas station last week, right as I was pulling in, there was a family that was pulling out and it was clear that they lived in their car. And this little kid in the back seat just eating like a bag of chips and uh, the mom had like a, like a, um, like a hoodie, like a sweater, like wrapped around her head, leaned back, trying to like fall asleep. And um, the, the dad, I passed him on my way out and it looked like he had just microwaved some stuff, some like cup of noodles type of things. He was bringing them back out to the car. And as they pulled out of the car, I sat there in my car for a minute. And as they backed out and pulled out of, this, uh, of the gas station, I began to think to myself and I had to ask myself the question, is Legacy House the type of place and will Legacy House be the type of place that could reach that family? Look, this isn't a young thing, and this isn't an old thing. This isn't a white thing. This isn't a black thing. This is a kingdom thing. It's a heaven thing. And so what you find in the kingdom of God is you find that every age is represented inside of the kingdom of God. You find that every race is represented inside of the kingdom of God. Even in this city, we're, very, we're a very racially divided city. I've learned a lot in this city by my, my girls are, uh, my girls, uh, the dad is African-American and the mom is uh, Hispanic. And I've learned a lot about the racial divide in this city just by adopting biracial girls. I'm just telling you, I've almost lost my mind about a thousand times on people because they'll look at me and they'll look at my girls and they'll look back at me and they'll make a face of kind of like disappointment and confusion, and then walk off, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know you, but I will find you. <laughs> you better pray to God that you can run, because I'm feeling pretty fast today. And like, we have these moments, right? I did not realize the racial divide in, in my own ignorance. Why? Because I grew up in an environment where it really wasn't that, uh, I, I, my ra- the race divide wasn't challenged inside of my world. So now being the father to two biracial twin girls, what I've learned is, is I've learned that we're a city that's racially divided. And I've learned that we can all talk about it inside of our own teepees and tents about what God really wants to do and he's going to do here and he's going to do there. But I believe that God hasn't called us to be, we we misunderstand what it means to be the body of Christ. That's the bottom line. We misunderstand what it means the body of Christ. We think that, well, that church is the arms and this church is the legs and this church is the head and that church is the mouth and that church is the butt. I'm just playing. But like whatever it is, like we see these churches, everybody is their own thing, Right? But, but, but really what you find inside of the kingdom of God, it says that there's many members represented in one body. Well, that's the white church, and that's the Filipino church, and that's the black church, and, and that's the Hispanic church. And, and, it's, and, and we, we separate it all out because they're the arms, and they're the legs, and they're the feet, and they're the hands. And No, 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 no. Inside of one body has been called to be the full representation of who Christ is. Meaning that until we're all represented in the same room, I love that I can look around the room today and we see people of varying ages, varying race, and varying genders. Look, if this is all a guy thing, then guess what? It's, a, it's going to smell weird in here. And B, uh, B it's not going to look good at all. It's just going to be we're like, well, the floor's all right. Like, yeah, that's all it's going to be. Um, but we have to be a collection of the kingdom of God. And guess what? I know I'm only 30 years old, and that might freak some of y'all out that I'm only 30 years old. But guess what? I believe that inside of what God has called us to as families and as individuals, if we can't allow God to begin to restore some things inside of our own lives now, we'll never see God do the things through us and in this city that he desires to do. You know, God is more concerned about letting your life and and having your life changed than he is about changing the city. 
You know that? God cares more about you than he cares about the city. Why? Because he sent his son to die for you. And if it had been only you, it had been enough. If it had been just you, the sacrifice would have been worth it. So God cares about the restoration of your own life. I'm going to give you four things this morning very quickly. And I believe really these, what I'm kind of calling these as we're kind of talking around this restoration, home repair kind of thought. I, I want to give you these things, these four things I call my tools for tomorrow. Because it's easy to be fired up today, but really what we need is we need tools for tomorrow. We need some things that we can put in place tomorrow. We're so honored that you're here today. But guess what? If it's only today, then really what was it worth? It's about next week, really, and it's about the week after that, and it's about the week after that. It's not just about a moment in time, but it's about the beginning of a relationship and the start of community. So for, the, for me, these are the four things that I really believe are the tools for tomorrow for us. The first thing is this. First thing I think that we see with Nehemiah that allowed him to be a restorer of the broken things in his life was Nehemiah was willing to own the issues. Own the issues. Let me ask you this in your life. What are the issues? What are the issues? Second question, what are you doing about it? It's much easier to sweep the issues underneath a rug rather than bringing them out to the light and saying, look, I know the wall's broken down, and guess what? I'm going to do something about it. That's what God is looking for. God is not looking for us to deny the issue. He's okay with the fact that there's an issue. New shot. Like, he knows you're a sinner, okay? So, like, you don't have to hide it. Like, he knows that you fall short. You don't have to try to do a big cover-up about it. No, what he's looking for is he's looking for you and for me to say inside of our heart and our life, God, this is where I am, but yet I believe that you can bring me from this place. Nehemiah, when he began to say those words and he began to repent before the Lord and he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, I will be the one who restores the walls. Nehemiah was repenting for 146 years of neglect on those walls. Nehemiah had not been around there for 146 years letting those things deteriorate. But what did Nehemiah decide to do? Nehemiah decided that here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to begin to own the issues. I, look, I might not have been here. I might not have even caused this. But I do have the ability to see restoration come. God wants to begin to restore some things inside of your life. And for that to begin to happen, I truly believe today that there's some issues inside of your heart and your life that you're going to have to begin to own. That you're going to have to just say, look, God knows they're there. But there is power. You know the Bible says that there's power and there's life and death in the tongue? You know why I believe that there's life and death in the tongue? It's because there's something powerful about when you confess where you are. You ever confess, like even if you're in complete privacy, you ever try to confess a sin out loud, even in complete privacy? You're like, Lord, forgive me for it. Just, you like whispered under your breath, like even though you're the only one in the room, like no one could hear you, like no one could ever hold it against you. But why? There's something about when our ears hear our mouth identify our issue that it does something inside of us. Because now all of a sudden what we've done is, is we've acknowledged that it actually exists. Here's what had happened for 146 years. 146 years, people had walked by that wall. They had seen the issues, but refused to acknowledge that there was any issues. They refused to acknowledge that the wall was even falling down at all. You know what? It's going to be fine. Like, we can get a few more years out of it. All we need is a little bit of time. But guess what? Someone had to own the issue. Someone had to take it by the horns and say, guess what? I'm going to do something about it. I might not have caused it, but I can fix it. Last night we were in here setting up, and our projector, not that one because it's brand new, um, our projector went out last night at about 745. 
completely died, completely dead. Bulbs gone, little circuit board burn up. 7:45 launches this morning. Projectors somewhat important to what we're gonna, we got going on here. And uh, one of our home team members, um, we found one at a Best Buy in Mobile. And, uh, and he loaded up in his car, drove to Mobile, and, and got it and brought it back. And we put it in at about 10.30 last night, and it worked, praise God. And, uh, and it was just, it's funny because you know what? Often in life when small things or large things go wrong, the easiest thing to do is just to stand around and be like, God, how could you do this to me? The launch is tomorrow, Lord. You know that we need this. People will not get saved if we don't have a projector, Lord. And what you can wind up doing is wasting all this time complaining about the issue rather than owning the issue. God's not looking for people who can, who, who've mastered the art of complaining. Some of you have, my God. And you could have a doctoral degree in complaining. Uh, but you know what? God is not looking for you to find the way to complain about the issue. He does not need us. We did not stand in our circle and say, you know what? The projector's broken. It's going to really stink tomorrow. No. Like, there is an, if there is an issue, there is a resolution to that issue. The Bible says that even when there was no way, he made a way. Even, even when you can't see the direction of the path, the Bible says that he is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. So it might be dark around us, but where we are when we're with him, there's light enough to see where we're headed. And Nehemiah began to own the issue. He began to say, you know what? Um, I might not have caused this, but I'm willing to do something about it. We bought a home in uh, Austin, Texas. Me and my wife, we moved back from Austin um, about seven months ago now, and uh, we loved Austin. It was a great city. Uh, God moved. We were youth pastors there. We were actually in youth ministry for 10 years, and, uh, and Legacy House is really, it's a, it's a relaunch of, of a church that my, my family, my dad and my mom started um, 14 years ago called Kingsway uh, that was here in the city for 14 years, and a lot of you, uh, or some of you, were, were a part of that church, and, and, and you saw God move in power and might through all those years, and we were the youth pastors there, and then we moved away to a couple other churches, and we were in Austin, and I bought our first home in Austin. And, um, and I, I'm kind of handy around the house. Uh, and, you know, kind of handy means you don't completely mess it up. That's what kind of handy means. Like, I only get shocked every now and then when I'm, like, changing a socket. Like, that's kind of handy. Like, I've gotten hit by 180, but not by 220. Like, I'm like ah, okay. Like, my arm's just seized up. It'll be back in a minute. Um, that's kind of me. I, I'm, I'm fine with it. I was, on a, I was telling one of the guys the other night, I was on a stepladder at the church we worked at over there and we're changing out a ceiling fan and putting up a light. And the guy was like, look, I, the maintenance guy uh, I was, was like, look, we don't need to turn the breaker off. I'm going to just flip the switch. If I flip the switch to off, there won't be any power to that circuit. I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. I've never done that before. But okay, because I trust you because you're like, you know, you probably were Moses's like maintenance man. You're so old. And, uh, and so like, <laughs> you know, you <laughs> Anyways, uh, I was like, I believe you. Why? Because you're my elder, and I'm supposed to look up to my elders. And so I was like, all right. And so about that time, I stuck a screwdriver up there, and I began to ratchet down on this thing, sitting on top of a 12-foot ladder, by it, mind you, and not even like OSHA would have shut me down. I was just like sitting, like straddling the top of the ladder. And here I am, like with my hands above my head, and that thing hits me uh, with, you know, a Holy Ghost shock. I was like, oh. Like, that's how you know you're sanctified. It's when you get shocked and you don't cuss. You're like, oof. Amen. <laughs> Walking in the goodness of God. <laughs> Devil thought he had me. Couldn't get me. Like, nope, didn't do it. Like, yeah, so get shocked. And <laughs> I, was, I was like, mm, yeah, no, it's still on. Still on. <laughs> Thanks, though. Appreciate it. Hope you get shocked. Hope, that, hope your hands are wet when you flip that breaker. Like, you just, 
at those moments. But what I found was I began to do renovation on my home, and, and some people had built a wall in what was the dining room, and they, they homeschooled their kids, so they had turned one side into the office, the other side into the dining room. Well, I figured I had the ability to tear down a wall. Um, hello, uh, I'm a man, therefore I can. And so <laughs> I, I, I began to, you know, I remember standing there, um, and some of the, the students from the youth ministry were over there, and like, where do you begin? I'm like, I don't know. Here, <laughs> like, like I don't know, like just pick a place. And so we begin to we begin to like open up the wall. And when I pulled back the drywall, there was um they, they had written on one of the inside pieces of the drywall like Lord bless this house. So I instantly felt like that meant God had His hand on this renovation project. I was like, oh, amen. Uh, the favor is going to go with me on this. And so I began to tear down this wall. Well, then what I realized was um, I didn't actually possess the skills uh, to finish this thing out. And they had, instead of cutting out the sheetrock and, and attaching a two-by-four to another two-by-four inside of the wall, they just drilled um, a two-by-four uh, on or through the sheetrock to another piece of wood. You don't really care. I get it. Um, but what happens is, is it sunk in the wall. Well, the wall was sunk in a little bit. I'm, not, I'm like, I know what I'll do. I'm just going to get some mud. I'm going to mud it. It's only about eight inches wide and 18, no, it wasn't 18. It was 10 feet long. I was like, I'll just smooth it out real good. No one will ever know. Guess what? Everybody knew. And because I did not have the ability to actually fix that wall. That wall was wonky as could be for like the rest of the time we lived there. We had to put a ladder in front of it. People were like, oh, that's a beautiful decoration. I'm like, nope. It's what I messed up. That's all I messed up. When people showed the house, like you tried to avoid them, like when we sold it, tried to like rank, like you ever had somebody sheepdog it? You know what sheepdogging somebody is? It's like where you get up next to them and you kind of walk in the direction you want them to go. Bethany sheepdogs me all the time in a store. Like when she wants to get you to go to certain areas, they'll walk kind of close and cut you off a little bit. Next thing you know, you're like, how did I end up over here? Sheepdog. Happened every time. And, uh, and so we kind of kept them away from that room because I knew the room wasn't right. Uh, uh, it was really not right uh, because I did not possess the ability. I, like, I, I was aware that there was an issue, but I did not have the ability to actually do anything about it. I didn't really know before I began to tear down that wall where I needed to go and what I needed to do. The second thing that we see that Nehemiah really begins to do was Nehemiah determined the destination. He didn't just jump into the project wondering what was going to happen. He already knew where he was headed before he set out. Before he began the journey, Nehemiah already knew where he was headed in his own life. I believe for us as we begin to ask the Lord to begin to restore areas of our life, we have to begin to say, God, what is the destination that you're leading me to? The destination that God is leading you to is the dream and the call that God has placed in your life. You might work at Navy Federal, and that might be your call. You might, work at a, you might be a school teacher, and that might be your call. You might own your own business and be a small business owner. That might be your call. You might work in full-time ministry. That might be your call. But what I do know is, is I do know that every single one of you have a call. And I know that the call that God has placed in front of you is the destination that God is trying to lead you to. And so if he's trying to lead us to that destination, there's going to be some things that we determine inside of our heart that says, God, this is where you're leading me. And no matter how you lead me, God, I will go and I will run the race that you're calling me to. Proverbs says this in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26, it says, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Ponder the path of your feet, and then all your ways will be sure. You know what that tells me? It says, plan it out. I'm a planner in some things and not a planner in other things. I am the type of person, if it comes with instructions, I want to read the instructions. 
I don't want to improvise. I want to read the instructions. I, to me, it's like cooking shouldn't be that difficult. All you have to do is follow the ingredients, right? It tells you how to do it. You just do it. I, I'm not an improviser when it comes to those things. If there's instructions, I want to follow them. But what happens here in the Word and it tells us in Proverbs is it says, plot out, determine the steps of your feet. Because if you do that, you'll be sure to succeed towards the things that God is calling you to. You'll be sure to step into the plan that God has for you. You can never get where you dream to go if you don't know where you're starting from. You can never get to where you're dreaming to get one day if you don't know the place that you're starting from. It goes back to owning the issues, because if I can own the issues and I can determine my destination, then what I can realize is I'm starting here, but I want to be there. And so for me to get there, I've got to know where here is. I've got to know where here is so that I can go down the journey that God is leading me to and uh, in the place that he's called me to. Um, look, I, I think that what you find from Nehemiah, flip over with me, sorry, uh, to Nehemiah um, chapter 2, verse 11. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, it says, So I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Nehemiah speaking again, he said, Then I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one that I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate and by the Dagon Spring to the Dung Gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley gate and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Man, I love this about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a smooth dude because Nehemiah decided to not just tell everybody about what his plan was before he plotted out the steps to see that plan come to pass. Let me tell you what some of us need to stop doing. Some of us need to stop talking about everything we're going to see God do and actually begin to put some feet to the things we want to see God do. It's much easier to sit around all day and talk about, God, here I am, send me, if you're unwilling to go. God, I want to reach a city. Well, okay, then where are we, what are we doing about it? I believe for us at Legacy House, one of the things that's going to mark us in this city and mark us as a uniquely different church is not going to be different for different sake, but what it's going to be is we want to be a type of people who say, God, here I am, send me, and then we actually allow ourselves to be sent. This city is a growing, thriving city. Your family, hopefully, is a growing, thriving family. And for us to see restoration come not only in our lives but in our city, we have to begin to allow the Lord to determine the destination in our heart. Where do you want to go? What's the dream? What's the dream? Maybe you're a young adult in here, single, you're not married. You're thinking about your life and your future. What's the dream? Maybe you're a young family like my wife and myself and Raising these girls, and it's funny, they change a lot, you know. Uh, seven months, and they're, they're just, they've got their own little personalities. And their hair's totally different. Like, it's, one of them's got really straight hair. One of them's got wild hair that, like, you can't do anything with. They're in, like, turbans today. They're unbelievably cute. Um, but it just, it's funny. It's, it's funny to watch them develop and grow and to change. Or maybe for you, you've walked through a season of loss. Maybe you're a widow or a widower, and, and maybe you're, you're divorced, and you're in a season where you just don't understand. God, how... How did I get here? I believe today God wants to restore those things in your life. He wants to help you begin to own the issue, determine your destination. And the third thing is he wants to help you, give you the faith that will fight, a faith that will fight. I love this with Nehemiah. Nehemiah begins to go on and he talks and down in the end of verse two and he said, then he said to them, you see trouble, you see the trouble in, we're in, how Jerusalem is, lies in its ruins with its gate burned, 
Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. I love this because here's what Nehemiah is really saying. Nehemiah is like, look, guys, hey, let's all take a moment. Let's look around. Things aren't okay. Things aren't the way we try to, like, put them on Facebook like they are. Like, I didn't wake up with, like, a glittery Bible verse this morning. I woke up screaming at my kids this morning, okay? Like, I posted that Bible verse so y'all wouldn't know. It was a spiritual cover-up to how my current state actually was. Like, like, but here's what we find is we find that God wants to, he, like, he's okay with where we are if we're willing to surrender where we are to be restored by him and his nature. And so what we have to begin to do is the same thing that Nehemiah said where he said, look, hey, uh, everything's not all right. Everything's not okay. But what we can do is we can do something about this. And you go on through the story of Nehemiah, and for the sake of time, we're not going to read it all. But what you find is, is you find that Nehemiah was not just faced with one distraction. He was not just faced with two distractions. He was not just faced with three distractions. He was faced repeatedly and often with distractions from the enemy to try to prevent him from accomplishing and getting to the destination that God had for him. But it says that at one point, Nehemiah was working with a sword in one hand and a hammer in another. That is a bad dude right there. When he's standing up and he's not even allowing anything to distract or deter him, he's swinging a hammer with one and holding the sword with the other. I believe that today for a lot of us inside of this room, if we could put something inside of our heart that says, Lord, give me a faith that is willing to fight. What are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to fight for? If someone came up and said something stupid to your wife, it would probably get pretty crazy pretty quick. I know it would for me. I'm saved, love Jesus, uh, but I still might fight a little, okay? Like, I would, it would be bad uh, if someone came and messed with my wife or with my girls. I don't understand how some people have to, like, once they begin to date, here's what I'm concerned about, okay? Let's just decide now. <laughs> a, my girls are really pretty, all right? And, uh, and, and, and not only are they just really pretty, uh, but they're mixed babies, so they're, like, super pretty, okay? And... Uh, <laughs> Do you know there's like, there's like whole like things dedicated on Pinterest uh, to pictures of beautiful biracial babies. And anyways, that's neither here nor there. My girls are the prettiest girls you've ever seen in your entire life. And uh, they, they are the constant color that I wish that I was. And, uh, and I can't imagine what will happen when my girls begin to date. And they begin to date a dude who's an idiot. One of them will date a guy who is an idiot. How do I not go to jail? I've got a couple ideas. I like to take the guys in our church who are police officers out to lunch. Not necessarily to hang out, but just to find where do I bury the body. That's really what, like, I was just like, maybe, though. Uh, Maybe, no, but it's funny uh, because inside of all of our lives, there has to be a determination that says, Lord, I will fight for what I believe. I believe that what God is not looking for is he's no longer looking for emergency room Christians. He's no longer looking for 9-11 Christians. He's no longer looking for deathbed Christians. He's looking for people who will really be willing and be hungry for the Lord all of the time. Our city can rally around. Our nation can rally around. Your home can rally around God when there is a tragedy. But how about we be a city, a home, a nation, whatever you want to be. How about you be you? That you love God long before you're in the emergency room. Long before you're sitting in that college classroom and an exam happens that you realize you did not pray, that you did not uh, study for, and so you begin to intercede. Lord, just allow your knowledge to soak into my brain. Divine nature of God. Like, you're praying these elaborate, like, very exegetical prayers. And, and, and really what it is, is it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weak, shallow attempt at a healthy, life-giving relationship. I love what Paul said where he said, it's no longer I that lives 
but it's Christ that lives in me. You know what? I don't have to be my defender. And I for sure don't have to be anybody else's. Because in that regard, I will always fall short because I don't really know how to defend myself. The way I want to defend myself often is from my flesh and not my spirit. And the way that I would defend others would definitely be from my flesh and not from my spirit. But what I do know is I do know that God is the defender and the protector of my life. And I know that if like Nehemiah, I'll be willing to put a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. Then no matter how big the task, no matter how broken the walls are, if I will keep my hand to the job in front of me, I'll begin to see God restore the broken things. You know, Nehemiah, he rebuilt the walls in what, like 56 days. It was a crazy short period. We're talking 146 years. He rebuilds the walls in less than that. He, 146 years of destruction, he rebuilds the walls in less than half a year. It's amazing what God can do if you're willing to put your hand to the plow. If you're willing to say, Lord, give me the hammer to build and give me the sword to defend. And God, as we go forward, I believe that you're going to lay a way for me. I'm going to give you one last thing, fourth and final point, and then we're going to close with this. Flip over with me, if you will, to John chapter 21. And I wasn't even, this wasn't even a part of my message until last night. Someone brought, we were standing out in the thing about 10 o'clock, and someone brought this up, and they asked a question about this text, and I was like, man, like this text hit me. It's like, (laughs) it's my favorite text in the entire Bible. It's the story of, uh, of, of how Peter interacts with Jesus here. In John chapter 21, John, the book of John, should have ended in John chapter 20. Should have ended like the other three Gospels. Should have ended with Jesus resurrected in the heaven, great commission. Hey, go do some great things, raise some people up, change some lives. That's how it should have ended. That's not how it ended. It ended with Jesus and Peter interacting and encountering each other one more time. And we kind of, this is what, how it happens, is that the fishermen, uh, the disciples have been out fishing all night long. Jesus um, had died on the cross, and, and, and some of them had seen, them had seen him, some of them hadn't. And, and so they had been fishing all night, hadn't caught anything. And so they begin to say, or they, they see this man on the shore, and the man tells them to cast their nets on the other side. And as they cast their nets on the other side, they begin to catch a supernatural bounty of fish. So, so much that their nets even begin to break. And then it says that Peter realized from a distance that it was the Lord which is weird because Peter does something that's really weird in this section of verses. It says that Peter put on his clothes and jumped in the water. That's a bad idea. Um, You know, most times you don't put on more clothes to get in the water, but Peter did. And I believe the reason that Peter did was significant. Peter swims ahead of the disciples and he gets to the shore. And as he gets to the shore, he runs up and there's Jesus. And the Bible records, let's look at this down in, in verse 21. Sorry, let me start reading verse four. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore and yet the disciples did not know yet that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, he said, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, he said, no. He said to them, cast your nets on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast their net on the right side of the boat. There were so many fish that they weren't able to haul it in because of the quantity. Disciples whom loved Jesus, therefore, said, Peter, it is the Lord. I love that the one who loved Jesus the most was the first to recognize who he was. There's significance to your closeness in your walk with the Lord. Man, 
It wasn't Peter that even could identify it. Why? Because we know what had happened. Peter had denied the Lord, right? He had, he had, he had cussed this little girl out, girl out around a campfire because she began to accuse him of what he was, which was a disciple. She began to assume something about him that he was. She said, you're a disciple, aren't you? And he said, no, 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 I'm not a disciple. No, you're, I know, I've seen you. We're talking a little girl here, right? He begins to get angry on the third time and he cusses and says, I don't even know that man. In a moment of weakness and fear, Peter caved in. And here he is, John, writing about John, <laughs> calling himself the one who Jesus would love the most. We know this from scripture. Jesus looked down from the cross. Can you imagine that? Jesus hanging on the cross and looks at you and says, John, this is your mother. Mary, this is your son. Unbelievable. And here he was, and he began to look out. And he said, Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter throws on his clothes, he dives in the water, swims to the shore. As he gets there, it says, verse 9, probably, in my opinion, maybe just because it resonates in my life, but John chapter 21, verse 9 is the most powerful verse in the entire gospel. It says that when they got on the land, they saw a, fire, a charcoal fire in place with the fish laid out on them, the bread, and Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you just caught. So Peter went aboard. And he hauled the net to shore, full of large fish, 153 of them to be exact. And the Bible talks about a charcoal fire in two places. The second one is here in John chapter 21. The first one is just a few chapters earlier. When it says, as Peter stood around a charcoal fire, he denied the Lord for the third time. Imagine this scene, man. Jesus cooked you breakfast. It's better than any Waffle House breakfast. He's cooking you breakfast on the shore. As the disciples make their way, Peter, John looks over and he says, hey man, it's your moment. It's your chance. It's him. He hops out of the boat and he swims to the shore. And as he walks up on the shore, he sees Jesus steadily cooking around this fire. It wasn't just by coincidence and it wasn't just by accident that the Bible mentioned it twice. It's kind of this unwritten code between Peter and the Lord. It's kind of the Lord in that moment saying, I saw you here just a few days, weeks ago and where you once betrayed me, I can restore you. This is that Jesus asked for the fish and there's a historian out of that time. His name is Jerome. Seems pretty funny for a historian of that time. Anyways, his name was Jerome. And what's interesting about the Bible recording that there was 153 fish. Once again, it's no accident. In that day, there was 153 known species of fish. A lot of theologians don't believe that every species was represented, but they believe the number is significant because the number represents that there is nothing beyond God's grasp. You want your net full, I'll fill it with everything. Cast your net on the other side and see if there's anything that you lack. That last and final thing, for us to begin to live that restorative restoration life, is that 
you've got to be hungry for health. You've got to be hungry to be healthy. We believe at Legacy House that if we can build healthy people, we can build a healthy church. You're never going to build a healthy church just by just throwing a bunch of people in a room and hoping for the best, crossing your fingers and believing God. No, 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 no. You're going to begin to see God move in power and in might when you begin to trust and rely on the Lord and say, God, I need you. I need you. I need you in my life. I need you in my home. I need you in my heart. I need you. I believe for some of you today, we're closing, we're done. But I believe for some of you today, this is a divine moment in your life. Maybe you watched the video on Facebook and that's how you found out about what was going on in UK. Maybe you got the mailer in your mailbox and you're like, you know what? We haven't been to church in a while, but let's try it out. You know what? However you got here, it doesn't matter. And whatever state you walked into this room spiritually with, it doesn't matter. God today wants to do a new thing in your life. This is the moment where God can begin to restore you and lead you in to the righteousness and to the fullness that God has for you. We're honored and glad that you're here today, but guess what? Family doesn't see each other once. Family begins to build relationship with each other. We want, we're glad you're here today, but we can't wait to see you next week. We can't wait for you to begin to go home and tell somebody about what God is doing here and what God is doing in you. The greatest testimony you'll ever have is not what's happening in this room. The greatest testimony you'll ever have is what God is doing in your life. And look, you might be the oldest in the room or you might be the youngest in the room, but wherever you fall along that scale, God is ready to do something in your life. If you'll begin to say, Lord, what are the tools that I need to put into place to become who you are calling me to be? Our world is not hungry for some more passive Christians who talk about it but aren't actually about it, who put on all the rules and regulations of religion but don't actually have a tangible, real relationship with the Lord. Guess what? Today, in this house and in this place, you can lay down all of the religious barriers and boundaries you've tried to build up for yourself to guard and protect who you really are. No, you don't have to do that anymore. Lay it down at the foot of Jesus. Why? Because just as you are is how he asked you to come. Just as you are is all that he needs to change your life. God's about to do an amazing thing and God is doing an amazing thing inside of this body and inside of this city. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. You can find more info and resources from Legacy House on our website, www.legacyhouse.life, or by following us on social media under the handle at Legacy House FL. Don't miss next week's podcast from our house to yours.